This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome in, one and all. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you on a uh, Thursday. We're recording this on Thursday morning. Busy week, boys. Been a long and busy week. Yeah. Our our hairs are on fire. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know. But listen, it has been uh, a wild two weeks, as wild a two weeks as we've ever seen since we started the podcast here at Black and Gold Banneret. We already went at length about uh, Gus Malzahn and our uh, night shift, which uh, you can catch on our YouTube channel. But we'll recap that. We'll talk also about UCF's new defensive coordinator, Travis Williams, and what happens with their old defensive coordinator, uh, Randy Shannon, in a little bit. And uh, we also got plenty of basketball to talk about. We were all at, uh, we were all watching, well, no, we weren't all watching. You weren't, Derek. But uh, Murph and I were at uh, UCF USF last night. Uh, big W for, uh, for the men. UCF women got a win at Tulsa by two. I think the Tulsa curse is finally going by the wayside, gentlemen. I think. Oh, people, people will not agree until something happens with football. Yeah, fair, fair enough. But like, I can feel the tide turning. And then lots to talk about uh, in all the other sports as well. Uh, women's soccer off to uh, their their one and zero start. Uh, men's soccer back to got a win over Temple as well. Softball, Eric Lopez will dive in on that because they're at home this week for the first time, uh, and uh, and plenty more. We also interviewed Greg Lovelady, uh, which you can find on our subsequent podcast on the feed, our 2021 baseball preview with Greg. Probably that I love talking to Greg. We all love talking to Greg. Like we always sit in his office, right? Of course, this year you can't, but this interview this year was as good an interview with Greg as we've ever had. And the, all the, and the other ones have been great. So definitely recommend you check out that. But not before you listen to this podcast. And let's talk about UCF's new head football coach, Gus Malzahn. Eric is still, is still like on cloud nine about this. Uh, five years. Hi, man. It's a great time to be alive. Five years, $11.5 million is the deal uh, with a uh, buyout that steps down $2 million a year, starting with $7 million. Um, we obviously, like we said, we wax poetic about it on night shift. But um, before we get to his new hire of Travis Williams as defensive coordinator, I want to gauge your guys' uh, input on kind of how how Gus has been approaching the team to this point. You know, I think that there was there were some eyebrows raised when Gus was first announced uh, amongst uh, some former and some current players. I think, but he seems to have uh, steadied the ship, right? I mean, because uh, you know, people are worried all about Dylan Gabriel and all that kind of stuff, and Dylan seems to have come around on it, uh, at least at least judging by his uh, social media um, metadata. But um, it, it, but I, I but it does feel like it, everyone has finally been like, okay, we're going to be more than fine, right? Yes, I mean the the narrative that. Players were going to transfer because Jeff Levy wasn't the head coach. Was always overblown and asinine. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I love I love Murph in the morning. You just you just give no craps. <laughs> it, it, oh, is this, is this me in the morning? I mean, really, the, the listeners probably wouldn't even know 
if it's me at night, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I, um, it's just, it's just, it was, it was a ridiculous storyline that we had there running on Twitter for a, a week or so. Um, but it doesn't matter because like, like you, they'll be able to Gus, Gus, and the people at UCF who hired Gus will be able to talk to talk to the players and convince them like, look, we made this move for a reason and it was in your best interests and you should, you know, give us. Give us, you know, uh, a little bit of time to prove to you why he should be your football coach, you know. And, and so if you give them that common courtesy and they have, and they've come around on how good Gus can be for this program. So, no, uh, I think everything is fine. Everything is dandy. Let's try to move forward into spring ball. And so we have with a new uh, defensive coordinator, Travis Williams comes over. He was the linebacker coach most recently at the University of Miami for all of two weeks. Uh, and, uh, and, but he was a uh, linebacker coach under Gus prior to that at Auburn, right? Um, played at Auburn, uh, was a defensive assistant. Uh, he was part of the, by the way, he was part of the undefeated team in 2004 with Jason Campbell and all the Cadillac Williams and all those guys. Ronnie Brown, uh, was a leading tackler on that team, believe it or not, as a player, um, uh, played a couple years for the Falcons and then went into coaching. He was a quality control assistant uh, on the 2010 national championship team that Gus was the offensive coordinator on and then stayed on when Gus took over for Gene Chizik. Um, he said in his uh, press conference that Manny Diaz, actually the head coach at Miami, was very supportive of him going. He's like, and uh, said, and actually said, like, you, you need to take that opportunity. You can't pass that up. And was kind enough to let him out of his agreement with Miami. And so Travis comes up here and brings evidently um, quite a bit of enthusiasm um, to the table here. In fact, uh, we have some sound from Travis here from his uh, press conference. Let's listen to uh, let's listen to Travis. So blessed to be here. Blessed for the opportunity. Uh, blessed to be back with Coach Malzahn, a guy that I, I really, really admire, some, some, a guy that's a mentor of mine. We have a great relationship. Um, I'm blessed to be able to call the defense and call the plays here. Uh, man, it's, it's, just a, it's just an awesome opportunity, man, just to be able to be around the guys. You know, just what you're going to see on defense, we're going to get to the ball. But relentless effort, like our hair is on fire. Like, it's, it's going to be the main thing you see. You want to see us put a blanket over our defense and have 11 guys to the ball. We're going to have fun. We're going to have great energy. I mean, it's, it's, this is, this is, I mean, I'm just so fired up, you know, to be at UCF, to be able to call the plays and be able to serve these young men. That's, that's what it's all about. Just serving the young men and being here for them and just making sure that college experience is a great experience on and off the field. All right. That's Travis Williams. In addition to that, his, uh, uh, you know, looked like the defensive team was pretty excited to meet him. Um, based on his own uh, Twitter post, obviously, um, PR, you know, social media PR being what it is. But what does he um, bring to the table here in terms of how things are going to look different for UCF from uh, what we've seen the last couple of years under Randy Shannon? Uh, I mean, it, uh, it sounded like it sounded in terms of philosophy, a lot of the same, a lot of the, you know, priority on turnovers, relentlessness, relentlessness and energy all those sort of things that Randy preaches. So we really won't know like how he's much, very different until they actually snap the ball. I, I just think it, it, you know, he's obviously got this youthful exuberance. Uh, Randy, Randy was much more not, you know, more stoic. If, 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 you know, uh, much more composed. 
I think you know there's there's a uh, much more vi- much more life uh, in what Travis Williams when he's talking to you. There's much more energy, much more action. Whereas Randy sort of a more um, you know older commanding presence. Um, so I wonder how that, that you know how that goes over you know you know during the season. You know we all have seen the the Netflix videos of Randy at halftime and and how he operates usually sweating as he's pounding on the whiteboard. Uh, and talking to his guys at halftime, so I'd like to see how Travis Williams operates in those situations. But um, it was a good first press conference. Um, but yeah, it did his philosophy sounded a lot like what Randy Shannon sort of leans on anyway? Travis looks like he might like destroy the whiteboard, like <laughs> just tackle it and destroy it in the quarter. Eric, what was your impressions of uh, of Travis, and what do you think we're going to see? Uh, I think there's a lot of energy. A lot of enthusiasm. And also you've noticed, I think now, one thing it's for for sure, the defense is going to be held accountable. And I think it, I've been really blown away by how the defense has been, you know, discussed at length. Talking about being a top 10 defense, talking about how they're going to make me aggressive and make plays. Um, I think it's a clear message that the players gave, I think, to Terry. And I think the message has been clear. And I think defensive players – probably felt neglected the last couple of years, probably felt like they were second class, if you will, to the offense. And I think that's kind of what I read into this because I think it's clear those days are over. I think this is a balanced team now. And I think that's the goal of this coaching staff. And I also think this staff is serving these players as humans. They're talking about humans and, and serving them. And I, I think the relationship is actually pretty strong and it's going to be pretty strong and I think it's going to be strong off the field and I think they feel that that's going to help contribute to results on the field so uh, I'm impressed with Williams he's a a rising star they were under him at Auburn they were really good defensively Uh, I think this was a great obviously this was a I mean this was something that was already rumored before Gus even had his press conference so uh, they're clearly on the same page and and it's a it's pretty amazing it's pretty remarkable to, to, I've just been amazed how much defensive talk we've had this week. Uh, probably more than we've had maybe in the last few years. Especially from a, a, a staff that's now led by an offensive coach. Yep. You know, yep. that's the exactly. that's the other thing too. So, um, Gus was at the football game, or football, basketball game last night. Um, you know, played all the hits, which was great. Um, now, the question is, what becomes of... UCF's relationship to their previous defensive coordinator, Randy Shannon. As of right now, he is, (laughs) as of right now, he is not listed on the uh, coaching staff on UCF's website. Although, interestingly enough, Willie Martinez is. um, Although Willie, uh, we found out yesterday, Brian Murphy, that he has accepted a job uh, at Tennessee um, to work under Josh Heupel once again. Um. The contract for Randy, which we talked about a couple months ago uh, at the end of the regular season, is uh, he's due a million dollars. He just got a $300,000 retention bonus uh, for being employed by UCF as of February the 5th. He actually got that bonus paid to him on Monday. Uh, He is owed, according to his contract, 100% of that money unless he finds a job elsewhere, in which case that money is offset, or that buyout, rather, is offset by however much he makes at his new gig. So I would imagine 
that um, you know, based on that, he's. Do you think that we may see Randy Shannon uh, in a new job sooner rather than later, Murph? At some other university? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I know the UCF hopes so, right, Eric? I mean, it's you know we all it, hope so. Have, <laughs> find it, make create football leagues, XFL, XFL two, XFL three, whatever. Find a league, find a job. Well, I, I well I is, think, yeah. is it? I, I think I, I forget. I forget if I saw it in the in the um, contract language. Is it a college job only that he has to take? I forget. Anyway, but that's the situation. Um, with Randy. And I'm really going to be interested to see what Gus does with the rest of the coaching staff too. You know, what are we going to see for his offensive assistance? What are we going to see for the defensive assistance? Um, right now, the previous defensive coaches that are still on the, on the list are uh, Corey Bell, Shane Burnham. Um, Jacob uh, Bronowski is still the special teams quality control uh, special teams coordinator, still Nick Toth. Um, but we wait to see what Gus decides to do with the rest of his um, of his staff. So, and they're going to have to do this pretty quickly too, Murph, because I think spring football, assuming we're going to have it, is right around the corner, right? Well, Gus said in his press conference that he would like to get something going in the next 30 days or so. And by the way, looks like we're going to get a schedule uh, today. So For the spring? No, for the season. Oh, for the season. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, okay. You know, you know, we always record these press conferences at just the absolute right time. Uh, <laughs> these podcasts. Um, so right when we wrap up here, we're probably dropping a schedule. Well, that gives uh, me yeah, the opportunity right. to say you can catch the latest news on UCF schedule on blackandgoldbanneret.com and follow oh, us on Twitter like- at UCF underscore banneret. Shameless plug. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. UCF football currently teasing on Twitter uh, about uh, a schedule release at 11 o'clock, which I, oh, this, I know it's... Hey. Oh, a little breaking news? All right. That's what well, it looks it wouldn't like. Be, wouldn't be a podcast without it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then spring ball, uh, you know, something in, the I, I guess, the mid-March area would be, I guess, to Gus's liking. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they play the uh, spring football situation now under COVID because there was no spring football last year that well I I think I think what we're going to see is I think they'll practice in the spring but I would be shocked if we have a spring game I mean you saw Florida's already their spring game there's there's no reason to have a spring game which you know yeah with with, with multi counter on that so I I, the important thing is the practices not the game no yeah and and the coaches will tell you that too right I mean that they're you know that they're not they care about the practice more than I mean. We saw under O'Leary, uh, you know, the, the, the spring practice was with the spring game wasn't even. A, I mean, it wasn't a game. He was it was basically a glorified practice. I think o, O'Leary couldn't. He he didn't he didn't want to bother with that. You know, it, it was a nice little reveal when Scott Frost came in and when Josh Heibel came in because we got to see some things, but not all that all that much. Yeah, they don't want to give up that much anyway. It's more of a it's more of a football festival than anything else. But all right. So uh, Gus Malzahn is firmly entrenched. We'll be following what goes on with the uh, schedule uh, as it drops, uh, hopefully pretty, uh, pretty quickly here. So uh, let's go ahead and take it. By, by the time you listen to it, it'll yeah. be out. Well, like, well, we can, Unless we just yeah. edit the show and just put it at the end. Well, that's the beauty of podcasts is you can just do that and like go ahead to, you know, move ahead. But we're, we're going to talk about basketball for a little bit. And I guess... 
by that time we'll have our we'll have the football schedule to really quick um go over once that drops right, right. we got more football news later on the show anyway exactly so all right take a quick Thank break big news yes we take a break take a quick break when we get back Lots to talk about with basketball. Two wins for UCF on Wednesday night. One at home for men's basketball over USF. One on the road for UCF women's basketball at Tulsa. That and more when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll be right back. We got some breaking news, Brian Murphy. The uh, UCF football schedule is officially out. It just dropped just as we were about to start this segment. Um, you've got, all right, so here's how it's going to look. Boise State, obviously the opener, September 4th, right now scheduled for a Saturday, but they could move it to Thursday the 2nd or September 3rd, that's a Friday at the Bounce House, depending upon TV. I think that UCF is trying to book on that one being a, uh, trying to book on that one being a TV game. We've started on Thursdays and Fridays last several, quite a, quite a bit the last several years, haven't we at home? So... Um, So that's what we're going to start with there. Uh, Bethune-Cookman is back on the schedule for Saturday, September 11th. TBA, that's our second straight home game to start the season. Um, And the only FCS opponent. Then, on the road, Friday, September 17th at Louisville. Stay on the road Saturday, October 2nd at Navy. That's the conference opener against against the Middies. Uh, October 9th is a, by the way, I should mention the bye week is in between the at Louisville and then the at Navy. So if you're trying to plan things out, um, that September 24th or 25th weekend is going to be UCF's, uh, bye week. Home conference opener, October 9th, Saturday against ECU. Then back on the road a week later, Saturday, October 16th at Cincy. Six days, and then October 22nd, Friday at home versus Memphis. That's a tough six-day slate right there. At Cincinnati, home for Memphis on a on a week shortened by one day. Uh, after the Friday night against Memphis at home, they go back on the road to face Temple in Philly. Back home Saturday, November 6th. By the way, Temple Saturday, October 30th, the day before Halloween. Saturday, November 6th, home for Tulane. Back on the road again, Saturday, November 13th at SMU in Dallas. And then two home games to finish out. Saturday, November 20th against UConn. That's a non-conference game, basically a half bye because UConn's no good. And then Black Friday against South Florida at home, November 26th, the day after Thanksgiving in the bounce house. So, initial thoughts, Brian Murphy, on this slate. Got a few, and the one thing that pops out to me right away is that Cincinnati-Memphis back-to-back going from road to home in the span of six days. That is probably the thing. Uh, I mean, you've got arguably your two toughest opponents within less than a week. That That is not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wish, you know, they have a bye week before the Navy game. It's too bad that bye week isn't after the Navy game. We right. all know how tough. Those Navy games are, they, they punish your body. Uh, it's really hard to recover from those games uh, because Navy is just cutting you all day long. Uh, and so to have that, to have that bye week before the, before the game, I don't know, kind of feels like a tease. Um, 
we obviously would hope the Boise State game is on the second or third, which would be a Thursday or Friday, because it would give you know that game a nice uh, like maybe a, a spotlight feel to it. You know, yeah, that has that has that has uh, ESPN written all over it on a Thursday night. Yeah, which would be great. Um, we'd like that. And then uh, at the end of the schedule, wrapping up at home with two games, you get UConn and South Florida. And, you know, it's, it's obviously always a short week heading into South Florida, but with UConn preceding that, um, that kind of feel, that could be treated as a mini buy. Uh, no disrespect to the Huskies, but, you know, they're bad. <laughs> That's what you get for leaving the conference. Um, yeah, I, you're 100% right on all that. That was, that was exactly what my impressions were on that. Um, obviously, the big game to start Boise. I would have a hard time believing that that game would not end up on a Thursday or a Friday. I think UCF would prefer the Thursday night to start the season. Um, it would get a big national TV audience. Um, you can get a, a, hopefully, if all goes well with uh, with uh, COVID-19, you can get uh, a big crowd in the bounce house for that to start the season. Um, that would be huge for the program as well. Uh, you get to stay home for Bethune right after that. So if it's a rough game against Boise, you can at least, you know, stay home. You played Bethune in the lone FCS game. Um, that buy, that September 25th buy, that's that, that I think you're right. The two tough stretches I see are after Navy, where you're right. We remember Trey Neal talked about this. Is that, you know, in 2017, um, that was really, really tough. Like they, they played, uh, you know, that 11 game stretch and like they were just never a hundred percent after the Navy game in Annapolis. That was a really tough game. Now Navy yep. that now this Navy team are is projected to not be as good as that Navy team, but it's still Navy and they still do exactly what they, they cut block you all over the place. You're constantly going down and getting back up and going down and getting back up just to protect yourself um, on the road on October the 2nd. And then you, yeah, and then you're at least you're coming back home for ECU, but you don't get a buy the rest of the way. Yeah, uh, right after that, you're right. It would have been really nice if maybe you played Navy on the 25th of September, then had the buy, then played ECU. That would have worked out in UCF's favor. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Um, at since the October 16th is going to be a tough, tough stretch, and then the six days later, home for Memphis. Thank goodness it's home at least. But like Cincy and Memphis back to back, that's going to be a that's going to be a real ringer for UCF. Um, and then you're right. They sort of get, they they catch a break with UConn at home in the non-conference before playing South Florida on um, on Black Friday, and, and which is a lot better than playing a tough, you know, t- say a tougher conference opponent and then turning around for South Florida six days later. Um, and, uh, and as Brandon Helwig just pointed out, rivals Brandon Helwig just pointed out, no Tulsa. Thank God. No Tulsa. Wee! Thank God. No at Tulsa. Most important. No at Tulsa especially. <laughs> so, so there's your uh, UCF, yeah, there's your UCF uh, schedule for uh, 2021 UCF football schedule. We'll have something up for that um, as well here on Black and Gold Banneret. Um, all right. Let's talk basketball. Uh, War on I-4 last night uh, at uh, at Edition Financial Arena on ESPNU. Uh, UCF returning the favor against South Florida, 81-65. to Remember, USF beat UCF by 7 uh, in uh, Tampa 
back on January the second. Uh, but the Knights really took it to uh, to South Florida. I thought in the uh, early later latter part of the first half, early part of the second half, they were up by uh, I think what was the largest lead there, Murph? I think it was. Uh, I think it was 20, 20? 25, 20, no, wait, uh, no, 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 uh, it was big, what was it? It was at least 20, I know that much. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was 20 at it one was, point. It was, right? significant. <laughs> it was significant. It was, so, and that was in the second, and that was in the second half, in a game that looked like it was, it was, it was going to be tight early on, South Florida was hitting their threes, uh, in this, uh, in the early part of the game, it looked like UCF was having trouble getting out to the win- getting out to the corners to try and cut off some of their three point shooting. But uh, you look at the box score here; uh, South Florida really had trouble shooting. Um, they shot just thirty one point seven percent for the game, twenty of sixty three. Really had trouble from beyond the arc at twenty two point seven percent, five of twenty two. Meanwhile, UCF shot fifty one percent. A lot of good shots on the interior. And the Knights mm-hmm. hit nine threes on 21 attempts, 42.9%. A lot of fouls last night, too. Uh, 24 fouls were called on UCF, 19 on USF. But um, this seemed like, a, if you'll forgive the expression, Murph, a normal game. Because USF has their bigs, right? They have Chua, they have Yetna, who likes to step outside a little bit, but really wasn't overly effective from outside. Um and UCF tried to, their goal was to combat that with uh, Jamil Reynolds and Avery Diggs. Now, Avery didn't play much because, or certainly didn't play as much as I think Johnny Dawkins would have preferred because he got into very quick foul trouble. Um, but Jamil uh, played pretty, uh, I thought, played pretty good defense on the interior, got himself to the line, scored seven points. But uh, the story here in this game was this was kind of an offensive coming out party for C.J. Walker. He had 18 points on 7-12 from the field to go with 9 rebounds, 4 blocks on the interior, 14 yeah. each for Darius Perry and uh, and uh, Darren Green uh, Jr. They hit 5 threes between them. Darius was 3-5 of five from the arc. Uh, and uh, Isaiah Adams with a quiet 11 points uh, on 3-5 of five from the field, all from outside. So um, this is a pretty workmanlike game. This is kind of like, I feel like this is, this is the blueprint game of what Johnny Dawkins intended this team to look like the entire year, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the thing that Johnny likes, I think the, the, the stat that Johnny likes most is the defensive field goal percentage, 31.7%. That is the second lowest shooting percentage for any UCF opponent this year. Uh, only, I think they had a game where they had 31.6%. So really, right around the lowest per, uh, of any game this year. Um, I thought... Actually, you talked about the bigs. The fact that USF did not have Michael Durr for this game. Michael Durr didn't play. He was in sweats during warm-ups. I'm not exactly sure why he didn't play. He's seven tall. He's a big, wide body. And in the game uh, last month in Tampa, which UCF lost, uh, he had nine points, 11 rebounds. I thought really did a good work in the paint. And early in this game, I know the stats may not show it, in, you know, as far as points in the paint. Ultimately, they may not show it. But early in the game, I thought throughout, C.J. Walker and Jamil Reynolds did a really good job of getting in there and scoring. C.J. with some nice driving moves in the paint. Uh, Jamil Reynolds kind of kind of uh, backing backing down his man to get better position. Yep. I thought UCF really controlled the paint area better today than they did in Tampa last month. I thought that was a, a big deal. Um, but when we talked to Johnny Dawkins after the game, 
he said the thing that he likes most was that this team was able to keep a, was able to have a big lead. They got to double digits early in the second half and then extend it and build upon it. It got up to 19 points at one point. That, that was their that was their biggest lead of this game. 19 points. Johnny Dawkins said afterwards that that is what he liked to see. But that is what he liked most out of this game. That his that his guys never relented. They always kept building upon the lead. I thought I thought our guys came really prepared. They were ready to compete, and uh, and and so was so was South Florida. I mean, I thought it was, you know it was a really good game early on, especially. But our guys started to kind of dig in and got a few extra stops and was able to kind of build a good lead, which was was exciting to see. And then the, the thing I really liked is how we were able to sustain it. We were able to sustain it, continue to build that lead, which is something that we've been talking about having more of a killer instinct where we get up. And uh, I thought our guys really kind of you know they showed that ability today, so that was good. And they beat a very good. An experienced, you know, USF team, a team that, uh, like I said, has a number of veterans out there. And uh, I was really proud of our young guys. Sometimes we're out there with lineups of, you know, two freshmen, a couple sophomores. <laughs> and so uh, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting to see these young guys developing. But I thought it was a good win, good team win. I, I thought that, uh, you know, CJ, like you were talking about, it, it, he was aggressive offensively, which I think was a lot of fun to watch. Um, but I most enjoy watching him rebound. He's just so he, he's he's the best rebounder I think I've ever seen at UCF. He pulled down nine boards, three of them offensive. Had some uh, had a big dunk I think uh, you know off of a uh, off of a rebound as well off of a block shot um, yeah. on a Darius Perry layup attempt. Um, and then you mentioned Jamil. Uh, he. <laughs> I my favorite part was he got that and one where he just kind of lowered his shoulder and just bullied uh, uh, the USF center Russell Chua to the basket and got that and one. I was like, all right, that's some bully ball that we haven't seen uh, yeah. from him. And I'm like, you know, and and you know, we keep saying, you know, you get he's just a freshman, and once you get him, you know, it, once they get him in the weight room for an entire off season. Oh boy, he's going to be a handful to deal with for opposing bigs, isn't he? People should not forget that these freshmen did not have uh, any sort of summer conditioning with right. you know the, with the program. They weren't allowed to do that. So, especially for a guy like Jamil, who you can see, you know, can't you know they they could they could be able to transform his body. You know, certainly there there is some body work to be done there with Jamil, and when he's able to do that this this off season uh, and really kind of learn more about what he can do on the court and with his reshaping body, like that would, that's going to be fantastic to watch. Um, I also thought, again, without Darren there, and you talk about CJ with the putback dunk, uh, he did that a few times. Darren Green Jr. also flew in a couple times for putback layups. I thought Yusef did a really good job of, again, without Darren there, they were able to crash the glass more and get putback baskets. Yeah, believe it or not, actually, UCF got out-rebounded on the offensive boards 14-10, to 10, but it didn't feel like it. No, okay. not at all. And again, like the the points in the paint, it wasn't a big difference either. But felt like UCF dominated in the paint too. Uh, felt like they they forced USF to shuttle for a lot of uh, outside jumpers. So really, I I thought you know Johnny's never one to get too high or too low. But I thought this was one of the performances, maybe maybe the best performance this team has had since the FSU win. Yeah, uh, maybe this is since anyone, but really maybe the best performance this team has had since December. And again. You know this team continues to show that they have they have sort of found their footing here. They've played better uh, the last few weeks, even in losses. Now they have this game, which was really impressive. 
this team is slowly ascending back to what I thought we hoped it would be uh, in December. That doesn't change anything about the tournament or their postseason hopes or whatever. It's, it's nice to see this team is sort of, you know, getting back to the level where we all envisioned for them back in December. So uh, UCF is at seven and eleven, five and ten in the league, um, but they've uh, they've won three of the last five, and now head on the road for two straight. Murph Saturday at Tulane, uh, and then uh, Tuesday at SMU. So this is another right when you feel like they're hitting their stride, they they have another tough slate popped up in front of them, right? So. What are we thinking for these two games here, like in terms of what they can get done and what you want to see them get done here as we head down the stretch in the final five games of the regular season? I mean, possibly it could be a tough stretch. You know, Tulane's been Tulane's been feisty at times this year, but you know, just four and eight in conference. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I don't, you know, again with this team right now, it's not a ton about. Do you want to see them play well more than? Results like again a game against Cincinnati, which they lost by one point over the weekend. Kind of that game, feeling pretty good about this team because they played really well in that game and just couldn't quite get back over the hump uh, once they got behind. Um, so even if they lose a couple of games down the stretch, and and you know at SMU is going to be very tough uh, if they're if they're able to play that game. Uh, yeah, that's the other. I, I just want to see them. <laughs> Yeah, there's. By the way, guys, there's still games being canceled every day in this conference or postponed. So, um, you still want to see them continue to share the ball like they've like they've shared the ball. Um, they've done a much better job of of hanging on to the ball. I mean, we all we all talked about that during their last long road trip about how they just they were just turnover prone like nobody's business. They've been much better there. Mm-hmm. Um, continue to do that. Continue to find open shots. Continue to attack, to attack the paint, um, and, you know, and, and sometimes it may not go your way because the ball bounces and the rim's unkind and whatever, but just play well. And I think they've done that here for, I don't know, going, I would say going back to, you know, you can see hints of it in the, in the second Memphis loss on February 3rd. So, you know, now for two straight weeks since then, they're three and three, but this team, you know, it, you know, if, if a couple of things break here and there, it's five and one. Yeah, uh, they've played really well for, for two consistent weeks here. SMU, by the way, like you mentioned, eleven and four, seven and four in the league. They're in fourth place. Houston's in first at eleven and two in the conference, followed by Wichita and Memphis. Um, Tulane is right behind UCF in the conference standings at four and eight, and they're nine and eight overall. Six and four at home too. SMU at home is six and is six and two as well. So. Um, this is going to be a tough stretch for UCF, who's right now two and eight on the road. And one of those two is at Florida State. <laughs> still, still remarkable how that how that all worked out. But uh, nonetheless, games are in front of you. Got to play them. Uh, next time we see the Knights at home uh, will be uh, Saturday, February twenty seventh against Temple. That's a four p.m. tip, uh, and then March second, Tuesday at home for Tulsa. By the way, all five. Or UCF's next four games, I should say, are all scheduled to be on ESPNU, both the road games and then both the home games. And then the season finale at ECU will be on either ESPN2 or ESPNU. So you're going to have to keep an eye on the uh, slate for UCF. That game is scheduled to be uh, on Thursday, March the 4th at 9 p.m. Late start to that game, 9 p.m. in Mingus Coliseum to close out the uh, 
regular season before the conference championship, which starts March 11th, Thursday in uh, Fort Worth. All and right. they've already, so, and that conference championship, by the way, they, they released their ticket packages for that tournament yesterday. And I've heard that they plan to allow about 25% capacity inside uh, Dickey's Arena. Right. So anybody looking to make the trip, I mean, it's on you if you want to fly, but they will be having fans in the building. Yes. So, uh, speaking of conference contenders here, let's take a look at what the women did. They uh, got a big win on the road at Tulane, 63-61, to uh, on Wednesday afternoon. Staved off a late rally. Uh, the Green Wave outscored the Knights by 10 in the fourth, uh, but UCF was able to uh, hold on. Double figures for the Knights. Uh, Alicia Lewis, 5 of 11, including four threes. He has 16 points, four rebounds, four assists. 13 for Masani Kava in 39 minutes uh, to go with, uh, on 5 of 9 from the floor to go with 6 boards. And uh, 12 and 7 boards on 6 of 13 for Tay Sanders, who came off the bench in that game. Um, the Knights really struggled in the fourth quarter. They shot just 2 of 11, although they did pretty good at the line. 7 of 9 at the line to sort of finish it out. Meanwhile, um, Tulane you know, was, hit, was hitting pretty well for, in the fourth quarter. 36% for the uh, for the quarter, 36% for the game as well. Um, but UCF still outshot them thanks to a hot uh, first half that saw the Knights uh, lead by uh, seven at the break. Uh, and they were actually up by 12 heading into the fourth before Tulane went on that run. So UCF is now 11-2, 9-1 in the American after the win at Tulane. And here's what their schedule looks like the rest of the way. Uh, they are home for Tulsa on Saturday, February 20th at noon. That game is on ESPN+. SMU wiped out their season, so that February 24th Wednesday game is not there. Uh, so it's so the Knights really right now, Murph, have three of the last four at home. And the only one that they don't is the first half of that, basically a double header with USF, uh, which will be Tampa Tuesday, March the 2nd at 7, and then Thursday, March the 4th at home, Senior Day. Uh, on uh, uh, against South Florida as well. That game will be on ESPNU. But it's Tulsa home, Temple home a week later before that double dip against uh, South Florida, and that's that, that's going to be the uh, that that's <laughs> that's that's going to be the uh, the acid test for UCF. Yeah. Those two games against South Florida. It, I know that it's kind of weird because the the first game was postponed back from February seventh, but I kind of like that, don't you? Oh, it's great. Now, like, it's funny, but, like, you kind of want USF's women's team to keep winning as well. Right. Because you want that you want that home-and-home back-to-back at the very end of the regular season to decide the conference winner. And that's what, that's what we're on pace for right now. So if you're UCF, you've got these last two home games, Tulsa and Temple, and you just, just want to take care of business. And, so, and, to, and, and then you kind of work yourself into a, what is basically – um, you know, a series, a two-game series to decide the conference champion. Champion, and uh, you know, USF held on on Wednesday night. Had to really fight back and claw back to force overtime, and then won in overtime against a four and fourteen Cincinnati group. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have three games remaining before they face UC, UCF. And really, um, you just kind of want to see UCF go two and zero, and USF go three and zero, and then we'll meet up on March second and. See how the chips fall. Yep, sort this all out. Well, right now the schedule uh, or the standings, I should say, have USF at nine and zero in the conference, twelve and one overall. UCF right behind them, nine and one in conference, eleven and two overall. So, 
followed by Houston, Tulane, Temple. Temple's nine and five in the league, pretty good. Um, even though they're nine and eight overall, they were zero and three out of conference, and then <laughs> and they were nine and five uh, so far. And they've gotten actually fourteen of their games in, which was pretty good considering you know the issues with COVID that we've had up in the Northeast. Uh, Tulsa, UCF's other opponent, um, upco- in the upcoming week, four and ten over uh, in the conference, and five and ten overall. So now remember, UCF lost their only conference loss was at Temple. Which mm-hmm. Temple, it, Philly is just their, has just been their bugaboo the last few years. It's unreal. But, and USF goes up to Temple uh, next week. Yes. Yes, they do. So this is going to be, uh, this, this is going to be a, a really, really fun stretch in the women's basketball season. And remember, they start their conference championship Monday, March the 8th with the championship game on Thursday, March 11th at Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth the same day as the first round of the men's. So it's a mm-hmm. wild American Athletic Conference basketball palooza in Fort Worth that week, uh, especially you know, culminating. I, I think the best day is what, Thursday. I love it when we see the women's and the men's tournaments for different conferences taking place um, simultaneously or semi-simultaneously in the same place because yeah. it's, like, it's like a basketball convention. You know, and uh, and I would love it if I know that they don't want. To, I know that they probably don't want to do this, but I would love to see the American think about you know maybe having these tournaments coincide somehow and have a um, and have like the championships on the same day. Like that would be so much fun to me. Like it's it's kind of like a nice little preview of the of the tournament too, right? Yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean, that would be. That it would be fantastic. Also, be fun for you. Fewer, right. It also be fun for you, like less hotel bills, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, I, <laughs> I do plan to to be there. Uh, so yeah, I would I would certainly enjoy that. But I don't know. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm tempting fate by going back to Fort Worth. But uh, <laughs> well, you're gonna uh, have to do it happens. at some point. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably gonna cancel it again. <laughs> oh no! Don't let that happen. No, 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 no. We got. We need it. We need this. We need the season. We need this. We're going to need this in March to get us through. Right. I mean, we, so listen, everybody just keep doing the right thing. We'll get there. We'll get there. It'll be fine. Um, so yeah, there's your update on, uh, by the way, one last little word. Congratulations to coach Abe, uh, because that victory against Tulane on Wednesday was her 100th victory at UCF. Uh, and so we're uh, really, really happy for the job that she has done. What a what a fantastic run she has had here at UCF overall. Because um, you know she really changed the culture of the program starting from the day she got here, and this has been an amazingly successful team under her tutelage. Twenty wins every year, and yeah. uh, and even this year, I don't, I, you know, I don't know. Well, let's see. Do they have the? Can they get to twenty wins? They're eleven and two. And it's going to be tough. Even if they, if they win out. They would be sixteen and two, or no? Yeah, sixteen and two in the regular season, and then seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. All right, so they'll probably have to win out and then win a game in the first round of the NCAA's in order to do that, in order well, to get to twenty wins again. Asterisk, there's asterisks all over this season, and obviously, you know, no one can, you know, you, they they were on pause for you true know, weeks. True. Yeah, I mean, they had they had four straight games wiped. Yeah. Um, you know, included you know three of them were on the road. Uh, or, well, one of them one of them was originally wiped and then moved, and then the move was wiped. <laughs> the game that was moved was wiped against uh, 
against Wichita State. But uh, but at least they'll get the South Florida game back in that final weekend or that final week of the regular season. All right. Stick around. We come back. We'll talk about uh, news and notes from everywhere else around the world of UCF sports. Volleyball taking the week off, but uh, some scheduled news for them. We got tennis. We got soccer getting underway. Lots to talk about still to come here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Jeff, Eric, and Brian here with you as we update you on uh, what's going on around the world of UCF sports here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't forget to download uh, the UCF baseball preview show that we did with Greg Lovelady, uh, which is right here on this feed. I'm actually going to put this podcast up, and then I'm going to put that one right up after it because baseball— Yeah, and Murph, you were all worried last week we wouldn't get an hour of baseball preview. Heck, we— Oh, we got, we got us some baseball. Sam is going to be so happy. <laughs> so oh, baseball starts on Friday at 6 at home against FAU. Then they go down to Boca on Saturday and Sunday to play the Owls. Back home Tuesday to play Stetson at 6 at John Juliano Park before they go on the road yet again next Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Ole Miss. We talk about that schedule and uh, what to expect from Greg Love's ladies team with the champ himself, Greg Lovelady, uh, on uh, on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast on our special baseball edition. So make sure you follow us uh, and follow our Twitter feed uh, for the latest on that. And make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed if you don't already. Uh, to get that. It's a great interview with Greg. Highly recommend it. On the other diamond, softball. Three and one start, Eric Lopez. Knights go down to uh, to Fort Myers and uh, get off to a very nice start against FGCU. Um, 13 nothing, 8 nothing on the first day, doubleheader. And then the second day, doubleheader, they lost by one, 3 to 2, but then came back and won 8 to 5. Uh, the highlight was uh, Aaliyah White, who is now within, very much within striking distance of breaking the UCF all-time wins record already. Um, as she's at, uh, what is it, Eric, 79 right now? Well, here's the thing. First of all, the, the, from the weekend standpoint, they were like an inning away from a perfect weekend. They, uh, they, right. had a, they gave up a three spot in the sixth inning in the third game, lost that game. But, you know, Aaliyah picked up two wins. Wasn't as good in the second uh, outing, but... Not their offense picked her up, and now if you go based on this schedule, you got New Mexico State get, probably gets a start here. She can win that. She would tie Shelby Turnier for the most wins with 80 wins. And with some interesting news that came out Wednesday through via Missouri, UCF now will host number 21 Missouri on Wednesday. That's been added to the schedule. Yeah, that's right. Because uh, Missouri's lost some games due to the weather up in uh, the Texas-Louisiana region. It's been wiped out through most of the country. So a lot of softball teams have actually had trouble playing games because of that. And so Missouri actually just joined the FAU tournament and got a UCF midweek game out of it. So now all of a sudden, Aaliyah White could break the record as early as Wednesday in theory, uh, assuming that she doesn't get two wins this weekend against New Mexico State. So that's been huge. But obviously, uh, you know, that's going to take care of itself in due time. Offensively, this team is still very good. They got a freshman in Kennedy Searcy who can hit for power and run for speed. It's probably going to be their leadoff hitter all year. That's the big yeah. takeaway from the weekend is they got a stud at, at the leadoff spot. Yeah, you were raving about her in the uh, nightcap about how about how good of yep. a job that she did in her first weekend up there, right? Absolutely. She had four steals, I believe, had a home run. I mean, she hit 500. Uh, and I think she's that missing piece in the offense. They didn't haven't really had a true stolen base daily threat 
since Kaylee Novak played here, like from 2012 to 2015. Searcy, from what I'm told, could be like a 2.0 version of Novak with power. So she's hmm. a great athlete, uh, could be the future of this face of this program. Uh, and you got Georgia Blair hit three home runs over the in the four games. You had Julie, Juliana Wilson, Jules, as they call her, hit three home runs. So this offense is still, is still just as good as it was last year. It scored 31 runs in four games. So three and one, good start. Uh, now they got a New Mexico State team that's been hanging out in Florida playing so far. They have a very good offense, so this will be a good challenge for this pitching staff. So we'll see how they do in this three-game stand. they got a bit of a long home stand here between now and the, the next few weeks. So they want to kind of you know get these games in and – uh, hopefully the weather improves forecast for Friday. It looks like it's going to be pretty ugly. So, unfortunately, Murph, uh, our opening days may get delayed a day if it doesn't improve. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, we'll see how they do. Uh, but, again, very positive signs for UCF overall, three out of four. Uh, don't don't read into the voters dropping the polls. The voters are clueless in software. They're the most clueless <laughs> voters in all of college athletics. Wow. Well, you've heard where we heard that before. Uh, Gianna Mancha, uh, Eric. Uh, got three appearances, one start. Uh, she threw a complete game. Also picked up a save over the weekend. Gave up only four hits in six and two thirds. Um, perhaps a good number three out there for UCF in addition to Aaliyah White and Brianna Vasquez, huh? Could be the number two. I mean, Brianna Vasquez was the number three on the weekend. She actually closed the game in the in the final game of that series. So I actually think she might be the number two. We'll get a more uh, telling reading uh, over the coming weeks. She might be the number two starter because she's somebody that can also close games out. So I think Coach Ball Malone would like to have her as a starter and a reliever, especially when you get into these four-game conference series. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, all right, so we'll be keeping an eye on the schedule for UCF softball. Once again, they are back home this week uh, to face New Mexico State, Friday at 6, Saturday 3, Sunday at 1. How good is New Mexico State, Eric? Their favorites uh, among the co-favorites to win the whack. They hit the ball and hit the ball far. So if you like offense, uh, they're they're pretty mm. interesting to watch. But pretty easy uh, for them to do that where, where they're up in where where they are up in uh, up in New Mexico Correct. at the high altitudes, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. But uh, yeah, they're they're the favorites to win the whack, and this is part of this stretch with Coach Paul Malone and her schedule. I mean, you got New Mexico State's a favorites in the whack. Missouri's a top twenty-five team. Next weekend, as we'll get into, is McNeese State is the favorite in the Southland, and it's been a very good mid-major team that will probably be a three-seed somewhere in a regional. So it, it's it's teams that are going to be competing for their conference championships and might see them become the field of 64 come in May. All right, so we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, I want to hop over to tennis real quick and update you on that. Men's tennis is at 2-2. Two and two. They came up just short at home against uh, Texas A&M, uh, number 10 Texas A&M, by the way. Um Came down to the uh, number three court, which had a tiebreaker in the first set, but uh, Carlos Aguilar of uh, Texas A&M defeated Trey Hildebrand 6-1 in the third to kind of wrap it for the uh, for the Aggies. Um, but, you know, again, uh, this uh, UCF team right now, right now at number nine, or excuse me, number 19 in the country, um, you know, continues to, it's going to help their uh, ITA rankings playing these tough schedules, so... Uh, they came up, even though they came up short against Texas A&M. They've got they go on the road to uh, UNF at Jacksonville on Friday uh, at two, and then they play FAU and Boca on Sunday. 
before they have almost a week off, and then they're back home on Friday the 26th against Florida Gulf Coast. These UCF coaches, man, John Roddick adding top 20 teams on a dime. I mean, Sydney, I mean, they're, they're I know. We're just adding top 25 teams on, like, short notice. What, what an advantage to be in Orlando, right? You can just call them up and be like, hey, you're going to be in town? Yeah, we're going to be traveling. Hey, come on up. All right, let's do it. And boom, <laughs> you have a game. Uh, women's tennis. Uh, they have won five, or excuse me, six in a row. Now, they defeated Miami 4 nothing, just wiped them out uh, last Saturday. And then they play again. They're out on the road in the Lone Stars. Although, I don't know how this is going to, I don't know how they're going to work this out with the, you know, if the, if the situation in the state of Texas, because of the snowstorm, continues to be as it is. They're scheduled to play Texas and Austin on the 21st. That's Sunday at 1. And then they go to Fort Worth to play TCU Tuesday at one, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that one. That's, yeah. That's so we may not see them play Texas or TCU, and if that's the case, their next scheduled match is the 27th at home against FAU. That's a Saturday at noon. So Texas, by the way, the, technically the defending national champions, by the way. Right, right. So we got to keep an eye on that one. Um, that's... That, that would be a bummer if they can't get that in. That would be a big match for the women's team if they could get that in, but not 100% sure uh, on that Come one. Come on, Brian. Make some phone calls to Mother Nature. Give Brian give Brian a break here. He's, you know, it's not his fault that you know Texas doesn't know how to handle snow. I really wish our coaches were more in touch with weather and just could call it right up and say, hey, enough of this. Yeah, well, Stop, Brian. Yeah. I really, I really wish that the state of Texas was a little bit more up on weather, but whatever. Uh, let's see. Um, moving over to uh, oh, volleyball. Wanted to update you on uh, on the volleyball team. They uh, had the two matches against Miami canceled uh, on uh, Friday the twenty sixth and Sunday the twenty eighth. That's a bummer because that's really the only power conference team that, that they had on the slate for this for this month. Although Todd Dagenet dropped a little hint on uh, Twitter that they might be getting somebody else uh, as a replacement who could perhaps raise some eyebrows, so that would be fun. Uh, they obviously won their match at Jacksonville last Tuesday, but they had this weekend off. They are in Temple. They're playing actually today, today being Thursday, February 18th at 1 p.m., on ESPN Plus, and they play Temple again on Friday at 5. So you can catch both those matches on ESPN Plus up in Philly as the Knights actually start the official conference slate uh, up in uh, up in Philadelphia before they uh, return home. So um, I would guess that they would be favored in Philly, but you know how it is up in Philly. They just, you know, it's, it, it's tricky up there sometimes. So bummer that they lost the Miami match. So uh, next... Home match for UCF, at least scheduled as of right now, is March 5th, Friday, uh, 6 p.m. against ECU, followed by Saturday at 2 against ECU. All right. Um, Eric, let me want to talk a little bit about soccer here. Because the... That's uh, right, yeah. We, baby, sweet temple, both in men and women. Yeah. The, the cold weather, uh, un, uh, uh, contrary to what ter- uh, uh, to what uh, Coach uh, Sahadak was talking about, the cold weather was not a problem for UCF on Valentine's Day, uh, as they go up to Temple and they score and they and they beat them three uh, nothing. Katie Bradley had a goal uh, two minutes in. Uh, Mallory Olson, uh, one of those newcomers who she talked about 
Um, had a pair of goals afterwards to kind of wrap it up. UCF unleashed 16 shots and held Temple to just four. Uh, and UCF goes uh, goes 1-0 on the season. So good start for UCF. They're home against uh, Cincinnati on Sunday. But that was a pretty impressive performance, wasn't it, Eric? Yeah, very solid. Scored right two minutes into the match to take the one nothing lead. Really controlled the match throughout. Very impressive considering the conditions there. Good start for Coach Zahedak and company. We, you know, we had her on in the special women's soccer preview podcast, which you can still listen to right on this podcast channel. And, you know, who would step up goal scoring? Well, at least in this one, it was Mallory Olsen off the bench with two goals. Very impressive start for them. Yeah. On the men's side, they were also up at Temple, uh, and they got the W as well the day before uh, in Philadelphia. Gino, Gino, Gino. Gino Vivi got the lone goal, one nothing, 38th minute. Uh, for UCF to get that to take care of business up in uh, up in Temple, and so that gets UCF back to one and one after the surprise loss to Tulsa. Um, looks like they kind of figured out what they had to figure out, and now they come home Saturday for their war on I four game against South Florida uh, at six. But I think Eric Lopez, they are at least as of right now, the way it looks, they are booking on Gino Vivi to beat to fill the admittedly enormous shoes of Cal Jennings as their primary striker. But as we saw in glimpses last year, he's up to it. And uh, he certainly was up in Philly, wasn't he? He was, and he's going to have to even maybe do more because of news this week. Uh, Former All-American Louis Perez has signed a pro deal with the Pittsburgh Riverhounds of the USL. Gotta love that, by the way, Riverhounds. Mm. I mean, you uh, so he signed a pro deal. So he's done. His UCF career is done. Uh, in fact, he quote in the press release, I want to thank Knight Nation for truly making me feel like a knight during my time at UCF, said Perez. I want to thank my teammates that have become my brothers. We have been together for years, and it's time to thank you for all those special moments. I want to thank the coaching staff uh, for bringing a kid from France and turning me into a man and I, I am today. I will be, always be grateful for the opportunity that UCF gave me. So he's now pro, and you know we we talked about this with Coach Calabrese on our men's soccer preview about pro guys that can sign pro deals right now, either right. in the states or overseas. And we just see here we go, Louis Perez, who did get banged up in the first match against Tulsa at home. I don't know, you know, I think he's uh, he was going to be all right, but you don't know if that played a role in all that, or you know, hey, I, I don't want to make sure I sign a deal before I get hurt again or something. But uh, he's now playing in the USL, so that's a. Uh, one less guy on this team, so Gino and other guys going to have to step up on the offense. And, uh, boy, this is a what, a, what an interesting uh, scene this will be this weekend in their big rivalry match. Yeah, could you imagine, like, any other sport, like, you know, in the, you know, you just start, like, imagine if you just start the football season, right? And, like, Richie Grant, two games in, is like, I'm going to sign with the Baltimore Ravens, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and you know, it's so weird. And, 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 you know, I imagine what, you know, coach Calabrese has to deal with. I, I suspect though, that, that Scott was prepared for that because we thought that Louie and a couple of the other guys might get drafted. I think Yoni yes, was also yes. up there possibly. So I think that was still in the, in the back of their mind. Like we have to be ready for that. Um, but it's you're right. It's still weird, though. But they were prepared for this, weren't they? You hope so. We'll find out Saturday when they play. Yeah, we'll I know. Uh, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. You you you, you assume that they they had a plan ready because you're right. Because he thought a lot of people thought he would get drafted in the super draft, uh, and it didn't happen. So I would assume they had a plan. Hey, if he's going to get drafted and leaves, then this is what we got to do. But 
still, man, it's unique and it's, you know, it's one of the hurdles they got it through. I mean, it's not the only soccer program that's dealing with this, but I mean, that's the uniqueness of this season for both men's and women's soccer dealing with departures. And in this case during the season. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is weird, but nonetheless, it's something that we got to deal with here on the men's side. So, all right. A couple other things I wanted to, Oh, did you guys see Parker Boudreaux's Twitter feed? Oh, here we go. Yeah. What what, do you think? Eric, Eric didn't see it. What a dumb question (laughs) that is. Uh, (laughs) The, uh, you gotta, you gotta love the fact that he. Okay, so he dropped his official. Looked like his basically his official debut wrestling debut hype video, right? Pretty mm. much, he pretty much finally made it official. What we all have known, and we first reported here on Black and Go Better, it is that his football career is done. Yeah. He uh, what was we, he basically was no longer on the UCF football roster about a month in January, early January, and he signed a deal with WWE. Um, you know, probably right around the end of January. And, and it's funny because last week on a uh, pre- on a conference call promoting their pay-per-view NXT TakeOver, Triple H, Paul Levesque, who is like one of the higher, uh, you know, now p- bosses in World Wrestling Entertainment and decides basically helps us sign a lot of these young guys' contracts, was asked about Parker Boudreaux and what's ahead for Parker Boudreaux. It's not as simple as just getting into the ring, as Triple H explains. It's about now the process of developing and learning what to do. Because after all, in this industry, it's about the game and how you play it. People look at somebody like Parker and they see, oh my God, he looks like Brock Lesnar. So like immediately they go, oh, he's the next big thing and he's got a big personality and we'll see uh, what he can do. For all of this, it's it's you, you have to be ready to be a performer. Even Brock Lesnar... Uh, wasn't a guy that as as amazing and Parker is as well uh, as amazing as an athlete as he is, you know you got to be trained, you got to know what you're doing, uh, everything's got to be done safely. So uh, everybody that we bring in the door, you want to succeed to the best of their ability and their capability. All the tools are there for them to use. Um, I say this a lot at the performance center that the generations that came before you, had none of these tools. They just they just get trained and, and learned from the people that were around them as they were getting to do this. And in some ways they're limited today because of the environment of today. There's no live event, so to speak, right now, and we're working around that, but they didn't have all the other tools at their disposal on the 24-7 basis. So their ability to succeed is increased greatly, but it's what they do with those tools. Um, people have a tendency to want to say it's this that makes somebody this training or this person or that, you know, uh, reminds me of the saying success as a thousand fathers failure is an orphan, right? Like everybody wants to be a part of that and say, this is what it did. And this is how it was and all that stuff. The truth is you just make those things available to people. What they do with them is up to them, their success or failure, how hard they work, how driven they are, how, uh, willing they are to take no for an an- unwilling they are to take no for an answer and, and uh, you know everything else that goes uh, with that so uh, I'm a- incredibly excited about Parker Boudreaux coming in uh, Bronson Rick Steiner uh, we have a lot of people coming in the door just as I am about people that have been here for a while like Rick Boogs and and 
you know, a lot of a lot of people that are in the door that are at the cusp. COVID has slowed that down, but they're right there. Um, the, the, when I say the future is bright, that is what I'm talking about, is the, the ability for those folks that are in those positions, that are in those on-deck positions, to be able to explode into growth and, and be the next, um, you know, I don't want to use the next big thing because everybody thinks about Brock, but to, 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 be, to be that next star, to be that next megastar, and, and they want to put it on everybody else's development, but, um, uh, you know, I was there when The Rock became The Rock. The Rock became The Rock. Austin became Austin. It, it, it very much so has a lot to do. Yes, they have to be given the opportunity. Yes, they have to be given the platform, but it is the performer. That is Triple H. By the way, how fired up am I? We finally could say that Triple H, we heard from Triple H on the Black and Gold Banner. First podcast. time ever. Huh? First, huh? first time ever for Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there you go. Uh, but, but what's interesting is he signed basically a year after Cal Bloom signed his developmental deal. So if you're looking for a timeline, but I, I, you know, you get a sense that certainly he has a higher prospect. But I thought it was interesting, Murph, because I know you listened to the audio there. Triple H kind of trying to calm down the, the 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 hype there, right? Not comparing him to Brock Lesnar and saying, look, there's a long ways to go here in developing here, and it's not as simple as you just show up. Well, of yeah. course. <laughs> well, then people lose sight of that because they yeah. just look again. Again, and and Hunter and Hunter makes it clear, like, uh, you know, people look at him. And we do this all the time, though. We do this all the time. We look at someone, you know, in a sport who looks like someone in that same sport, and we compare each and we compare those those people. But there's so much that goes into that in terms of just preparation and how much they, you know, how much they actually know. The game, and yeah, it's gonna take Parker a lot of time to refine his his stuff, you know, himself to get into a ring. Don't forget, he has not been a wrestler; he's been a football player. Uh, he's very new at this, and so he's got the body, he's got the look, but that is not what you need to actually make it in the business. It's not. Yeah, I and mean, the personality. It... We got to also have the personality, and we'll see if he has that or not. We don't know. I mean, how many times, Murph? Did we even see him on like new media availabilities? I don't know, maybe a couple once or twice. Yeah, I think twice. I think I talked to him twice. I wouldn't say anything really stood out. Like there are some players who you just love to talk to, like Richie Grant, Otis Anderson. There really wasn't that kind of stuff with Parker, but he is he has shown personality on social media, no doubt. I mean, obviously he's got that when he's not talking to a media when he's not talking to us, the scribes. So I'm sure he does have personality that he can use in the ring and on the mic. But also, like, well, how does he talk and how does it come across? Like, you can have personality, but the flow that you have, you know, it, it matters a lot, too. So he's got to learn how to do that seamlessly as well as being, you know, a technically sound wrestler. Like, there's a lot that goes into that. And we couldn't just base this off of he's going to have success because he looks like Brock Lesnar. As Hunter said, Brock Lesnar was not a finished product by any means when he came to WWE and he was a college wrestler. You call him yep. Hunter too. <laughs> it's great. I love it. All the uh, but yeah, I mean, you're right. You're right about all that. By the way, I mean that's 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 part of the business there, and uh, we'll see. Hopefully, but I'm excited for him. Listen, uh, the big thing he's got going for him, he's got people like Paul Heyman on his corner that is like really has endorsed him. So that's yeah. when you got people like Paul Heyman who've been in this industry for a long time get see talent. That's a positive. Do the work. He's got to do the work now. Yep. 
Well, we're going to see. I mean, it's it's it, he he he's set himself up for the big debut, right? There's a, the hype is already there, regardless of what Triple H says. So if he if he pulls if he pulls this off, hey, more power to him. But like he he bet on himself big, so we're going to have to see how that uh, all works out for him. So all right, and if he's looking for a manager, I'm available. <laughs> well, we got well, we got to get him. If you can get him, listen, I would hire you if I were him, Eric. I would hire you. As long as you got Cal Bloom as the as the uh, as the debut match, oh, that's gonna be tough. I mean, don't you want them to be tag team partners and then they turn on each other? That's kind of how that would prolong their kind of run. There, that would be the way I would do it. Uh, this is, this is why you would make a good manager, Eric. This is why. Well, Murph might be the better manager. Murph's got the personality. He's got the look. He's got the you know. He's got the you know the the, the mouthpiece, if you will. I've got the look. I don't know about that. There's. Oh yeah, <laughs> man. You're like Captain. You know, you're like the Lou Albano for classy flooding. <laughs> Captain Lou Albano, Bobby the Brain. He- you're Bobby the Brain Heenan. <laughs> Let's. Let's let's move forward in this podcast. I need, yeah, I need, I need. I was thinking more along the lines of Teddy Long with the way that you dress, Murph. Right? Hey, player. Hey, hey, this ain't up, how player. it's gonna go down, players. Hold up, player. Gosh, you gotta hook awesome. us up. Whenever we get back to normal here, Jeffrey, you gotta get us like you know. I gotta try. I, yeah, you're right. I gotta try. I want. I've always been curious about the experience at NXT at Full Sail. I really, really and now especially now. We're yeah, especially blessed. now that you can't get in and see it. <laughs> well, that and, like, we're probably going to see Parker if he does make his debut, whatever that is. We'll probably be in NXT if I had to guess. All right. Yeah. All right, we're looking forward to that. All right. We can't, we recapped everything, right? There's nothing else we got here. We're in good shape. This is great. What a podcast. A lot of stuff that we just rolled on through. I do want to make sure that I rewind, that I, that I remind, not just rewind, but remind everybody that uh, you should check out for a lot more on Gus Malzahn. Check out our episode of Night Shift, where uh, myself, uh, Eric, Brian, and uh, and Drew hopped on board. And a little bit later, Jeremy Brenner hopped on board to talk about and break down the Gus Malzahn hire. Uh, we even broke down his contract whatever, and everything that we have. We got uh, some more content coming this week. Anthony Lenahan did a 2,500-word breakdown of Gus Malzahn's offense. Isn't that delicious? Yeah. God, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, the uh, In addition, we have uh, a lot of player reaction as well. Danny Medina's been all over that. Thanks to Danny. And uh, thanks also to Jeremy because we've been trying out something new with our newsletter. We're actually dropping it in your email inboxes. So if you want to get our newsletter, that's newsletter with a K, uh, with all the latest news from around the world of UCF sports, including the latest content that we've been pumping out here on Black and Gold Banneret, hop on over to uh, our Twitter feed or onto blackandgoldbanneret.com. Click on the newsletter, and there's a link there where you can sign up and get the latest UCF news in your inbox at 9 a.m. every weekday morning. Thanks again to Jeremy for really killing it with that stuff. Um, and uh, like we said, we will have uh, plenty of co- uh, plenty of coverage of UCF sports over the weekend as we. Uh, Roll through this wild spring. That's everything is in fast forward. Um, wanted to give out some props also to all the staff at UCF who helped us out with all the interviews and, and this busy last two weeks. It's been uh, it's been wild, man. And uh, pour one out for those folks because they're working their tails off over there with a lot more workload than they're normally used to all over the place. Facilities, communications, you name it. Um, everybody's been 
busting it for you, the fans, and we wanted to express how thankful we were to them for uh, for their um, for their generosity and uh, and for their uh, counsel as well on helping every helping us throughout the week. So that'll do it for us on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. You can follow Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy, and of course, me at Jeff underscore Sharon. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week.